Amy, on this podcast, we try to always offer useful takeaways. And if you learn nothing else from us, learn this useful parenting lesson by Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 are the ultimate parent hack, the best diaper to use as soon as your baby starts standing or walking. Instead of ordinary diaper tabs, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your wild child. Pampers Cruisers 360 makes it so easy to change your baby. Who probably doesn't stop moving just because they need a diaper changed? Just slide on to apply and away they go. And fear not, parents. Pampers Cruisers 360 offers an up to 100% leak-free fit, and they just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we say more? For Trusted Protection Trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupons, savings, and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Hello and welcome to this episode of Fresh Take. This is Margaret. And this is Amy, and today we are talking to Dr. Michelle Borba. She's a renowned educational psychologist and an expert in parenting, bullying, and character development. She's a regular NBC contributor that you've seen on many TV shows for her insights and parenting expertise, and her new book is Thrivers, The Surprising Reason Why Some Kids Struggle and Others Shine. This book offers practical, actionable ways to help kids develop the traits they need to thrive from preschool through high school, teaching them how to cope today so they can thrive tomorrow. Welcome, Michelle. Oh, thank you. This is what we want, right? Like the path to resilience and happiness. This is like, what parent doesn't want that? Of course we want it. But your book suggests that we are kind of going about it the wrong way right now. Well, first of all, we haven't had that exact guide that gets us there and <laughs> that was based on science and evidence. The second thing is we've been fed to know or think that the greatest path, the way to success and happiness is through a GPA and a test score. So we've raised some very smart kids. Their GPAs are 4.0s or 7.3s these days, but in the end, they're missing a skill set on how to thrive or be resilient, get beyond that test score. and. As a result, look, the number one time our kids are most likely to drop out is end of freshman year, first semester of college. So they get there, but not necessarily stay there. Most importantly, they don't seem to have the skills to be able to be resilient and bounce back or be that I got it kind of a kid with an attitude of thriver. And I mean, it's a wide question. Where is that coming from? Yeah. Where do we see a difference? Is it a generational difference? Is it a difference from our parents? I'm sure it's a difference between my parents are born in the 30s and they had a ton of resilience. And I feel like, you know, maybe I was kind of the in-between slightly less resilience. Like what's going on? What's the pattern? Uh, It didn't happen overnight. It was a slow, gradual process that we moved from June Cleaver to probably Desperate Housewives. (laughs) We got to the point where we put it all, and look, in all fairness, more and more and more got being placed on mom, mom, mom. It was all about us and what we do. And so we turned, I think, from becoming a noun of just a parent to a parenting of do, do, do. And we do know one other little thing is that thrivers generally have resilient parents who raise more resilient kids. We got to watch our own stress level because it carries down. We love our children desperately. There's another thing. We don't want them to fail. But if we keep bubble wrapping them along the way, when the bump comes in the road, they're going to be depending on us. And in the end, we got to start parenting them for the long haul, because if not a pandemic, folks, it's going to be something else down the road that we need to recognize. It's a pretty darn uncertain world these days. 
When you say thriver, I mean, I hear thrive and I tend to think of like a cactus on a rocky hillside, like nothing could grow there, but that cactus somehow does, like that you need to have adversity in this incredible background that you had to escape in order to become a thriver. But are these traits possible even if your kid, you know, is well liked by everyone and things come easily to them and, you know, they have a happy life? Can you still be a thriver? Here's an interesting thing. One of the things that I spend hours every day talking to counselors and teacher groups, and they're fascinated that one of the groups of kids that's now being hit the most and blindsided by the pandemic were the kids who had it all in the school. They had the high GPA. They were the prom queen. They were the football captain. Now all of that has been removed from them, and that's what they base their existence on to thrive. The bottom line to this, it's really interesting, is that the ability to thrive isn't locked into DNA or IQ. It's a teachable commodity. And it's not one straight. I hear over and over again, what's the one trait of the resilient child? It's a combination of factors. And they do have to be able to handle life on their own so that they have the skills to be able to sit up and take it. And it's also, I mean, I think that one of the things we always try to present on the podcast is this isn't just on moms and you're doing it wrong and there's 800 different books and everyone's telling you, wait, you're on your phone too much. No, you're paying too much attention to your kid. Like sometimes it feels like, and certainly my grandmother was one of 13 children coming over from Ireland. Their only expectation was like live long enough to help the family farm or business. You know, it was a very different model of parenting. Yeah. And I would never want my children to experience my grandmother's childhood. It was extremely difficult and full of a lot of pain and desperation and poverty and, you know, lots of things that weren't great. And so I think sometimes it's like, how do we find this balance between struggling the crucible that helps you be great and thrive and kind of not over glamorizing what was a really difficult existence? Oh, great question. Because first of all, parenting is always a balance, right? First, we got to figure out what our kid is capable of doing. I always say the best expectations are kind of like a rubber band. Hmm. Your job is to gently stretch the kid, but don't snap the spirit. So if you just keep gently stretching the expectations from where the child is, not throwing them out so that they have to handle life on their own out in the middle of the desert, but The end product, if we're parenting for the long haul, is to help the kid eventually be able to handle life on their own. So that means every day we look at, we go, what's the one thing my child can do for himself that I never have to do for him? Never do for your kid what he can do for himself is your new motto. And then maybe it's also diving into the book. And I would say start with the core asset survey. Figure out who your kid is. What are their strengths? What are their natural tendencies? What are their learning styles? What are their hobbies? What are their interests? Because it also seems like we spend more time trying to fix the kid or focusing on their weaknesses as opposed to their strengths. The work on resilience now says thrivers have some kind of hobbies. They have interests that they can do in their spare time. When I interviewed kids, they said they didn't have time for those hobbies. So now it's this a moment of maybe pausing where we look at what's going on. We see a year when we've been hunkered down of stress and uncertainty. And we say, maybe we need to reset just a little bit in our thinking. Yeah, they need to be smart in school, but they also need to be smart in life. And there's a combination of skills that we now need to teach so they get that way. And is there something about this moment? 
right? This sort of pandemic reset, everybody in the same boat, everybody, yep. as you say, some people are newly struggling <laughs> with, with online learning and some kids are newly thriving with the stresses of school removed. But is this an opportunity for all of us as parents to sort of reset what we were expecting from our kids at different ages and out of school and different grade levels? Is this an opportunity to kind of, while we're fixing it anyway, fix it differently? I think it's a once in a lifetime opportunity that if we realize that prior to this pandemic, one in five kids was going to be diagnosed with a mental health disorder, a pandemic or a crisis only amplifies pre-existing problems. So if you're looking at what the CDC now tells us, it's now what it's for. It's not getting any better. And our kids' DNA isn't changing. It's, we can't blame it on the climate. Now we got to say is, all right, so what have we failed to teach them now that we now realize it is an uncertain world? Look, even prior to this pandemic, you were raising a generation of kids with fire evacuations, with hurricanes, and with active shooting drills. It wasn't where the kind that we were growing up in. So it is uncertain. And when uncertainty hits us, which it always will, you don't have control over it. We need to be prepared a little more. Thrivers have agency. That's the one thing we do know. They have a little bit of control over their lives. So we haven't given them the car keys at age five, but at least they know that I have at least some skills that are in my midst that I can hit this adversity and go, okay, I can find a way around them. Some kids, when they hit a problem, it's like, okay, who's going to solve it for me? And they give up. You don't want that. You want the kid who's going to keep on going at their all and is open to ideas or possibilities. As a result, they find a way around or through, and that's what you're looking for. We've talked to teachers who make that observation. It had not struck me, but it really stayed with me, that what they see in Zoom school is that because the parent is in the room, things that they would let a kid figure out for themselves, even if it involved tears, even if it involved a hard moment, Mm -hmm. they see the parent come right in. No, it's cat. It's C-A-T, you know, and that it's an interesting metaphor. I feel like it's an interesting example of what we're talking about, which is our absolute valid DNA level need to take care of our children sometimes gets in the way of their longer term need. Yeah. Well, look, we love them to death, right? That's exactly what we all do. We want desperately the hopes and dreams. But the reset, once again, that you mentioned is realizing we got to do more. We've got to be prepared for that real life. And back to you, it isn't just the teachers. The fascinating thing is, as I was writing Thrivers, I had finished it just before the pandemic hit. And I had interviewed Ivy League college counselors. And they said, and English professors, they said, there's another thing that's different about today's kids. They're very smart but they're also more risk averse. They're afraid to raise their hand because if they raise their hand and be a think outside the box, it may ding the grade. That's so interesting. And what we want is deeper thinkers. So each one of these, like curiosity is a core skill of a thriver. That's teachable, but it's also a core skill of a learner, a deeper learner who's more engaged and things through. So it's not just cut and paste from Google, but it's like, what is my real thinking? It's That's a real core piece for ever. And I think they're also like, it's this balance thing because they're also more risk averse because we all have so much more information. My husband talks about what was so great because growing up in Texas, we could all ride in the back of grandpa's pickup truck down the highway and it was so much fun. And I'm like, right, (laughs) but we don't not do that because we don't want you to have fun. We don't do that because it's, we understand that it is super 
dangerous. And a bunch of kids did not survive that experience. And so it is this thing of like, yes, adversity, but how do we contextualize that for ourselves so that we feel more comfortable doing it? First of all, safety first is always our motto. So you're not pushing kids into a ditch. (laughs) You're pushing them into instead like, okay, it looks like you didn't do so well on that test yesterday. So what are you going to do differently tomorrow? Right. You're afraid to try out for that team. Okay. Don't say you don't have to. If that's always been your dream, what's the one little thing that's getting in your way? It's effort that really helps you succeed in the end. And that's why when we get to perseverance, in which is chapter six, it's all about rethinking it. But here's what we also forget, because every parent right now is asking me the, but he's given up, he's quitting. How come he's not persevering? And I want to say, because you're aiming too high right now, he doesn't feel like there's hope in the world and he doesn't know how to focus because his self-control is so low. So there's kind of this, when I looked at the seven traits, I also realized there's a multiplier effect in them that we fail to see. It isn't one trait that makes your kid successful. It's a combination of a few. No kid rarely has seven of those traits. But the more you have together, it's what it's going to help your kid. Because who knows what the adverse situation is going to be? We don't know what it's going to be, but it could be for some kids more dangerous than others. But they got to be able to figure out, I got this, or I can get through it, or here's something else I can use instead. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, Michelle, I want you to tell us about these seven teachable traits, what they are, and how we can help our kids find them. Margaret, exciting news. I am about to have a new baby nephew, and believe it or not, this will be my 13th nephew. Amy, you're ready to give up your amateur status. You're a (laughs) pro-aunt at this point. Our family has seen a lot of babies, and as soon as they start standing or walking, I send them all a whole lot of Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 don't have ordinary diaper tabs. Instead, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your newly mobile little one. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof, crucial once your baby is quite literally up and at And that gap-free fit helps prevent your baby from taking off their diaper, a habit you do not want them to get into. You can say that again. And Pampers Cruisers 360 just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we even elaborate on the need for that, friends? For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. More and more, you hear about the importance of electrolytes as part of staying hydrated because you need the sodium and the potassium, not just the water. And whether you're looking to hydrate during a workout, while traveling, or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, seven essential vitamins, and coconut water powder. Crisp and refreshing and without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. They're little packets you can just grab and take with you to mix into your water bottle on the go. My favorite flavor so far, Amy, gotta be the cherry pomegranate. 
Interesting. My high schooler likes the lemon lime, and she keeps a few handy in her backpack for days that she has practiced after school. These electrolytes have the sodium and the potassium that you need to go with it in the optimal ratio for daily hydration. Visit sportsresearch.com and use code WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's sportsresearch, S-P-O-R-T-S-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H, sportsresearch.com, and use code WHATFRESH for 50% off your Hydrate electrolytes order. Okay, we're talking to Michelle Borba. Her new book is Thrivers. And Michelle, you say that there are seven traits that we can teach our kids that will allow them to kind of roll with the punches and succeed in life. So be successful and be like relaxed, happy, successful. That sounds pretty nice. So what are these seven traits and where do we find them? There are seven. They're competencies. They're all teachable. But here's a little footnote to them. When I was looking at these based on longitudinal studies of kids who did make it through like war zones, like homelessness, like poverty, and they kept tracking the same huge groups of hundreds of kids and said, how do these kids make it despite all this? They began to see commonalities in the kid. And it wasn't the IQ or the DNA. That's the first way they came from. So I started looking at, okay, what are they based on extraordinary numbers of scientific studies? I pulled seven competencies. I'll tell you in a minute what they are, but I want to give you a little update. Not only did the seven competencies I was looking at for resilience keep coming up as strong for resilience, but the seven kept coming up also correlated to better mental health and peak performance in a classroom. Wow. Then I went, oh my gosh, they also help your kid achieve better in the classroom. Are they ranked in any way? They're not ranked. It's a pie plate. They're a pie plate. So you can go with, okay, my kid already has number seven, but he's missing three. Hit us. All right. Well, the foundation seems to be hitting is self-confidence or understanding my strengths or you as the parent understanding that kid. Who is that kid? So that's when you can take the core asset survey. You can figure out what his learning styles are, what his strengths are, what his interests are. And that doesn't mean you're going to stop helping him learn math because he's not doing so well in it. But you can also help him compensate and figure out what's going to help him thrive and make it through based on what his real passions are. That's number one. Number two, in any order, and all of them can be cultivated, is empathy or kids who think we, because all the work on resilience says those kids who really have a better handle on mental health are connected with others. And now that makes sense in terms of the pandemic. We're seeing mental health plummeting, and we didn't realize how much togetherness was. It really does matter. So we can talk about how to do that in a pandemic, but that social confidence, not dozens of friends, don't get me wrong. Your kid doesn't have to be little Mr. Popular but he has to have a couple of loyal buddies or at least great aunt Sally in his background that says, I'm here for you. Third is self-control. That is probably go to it right now and forget all others because stress is mounting. And as stress mounts and you don't have healthy ways to manage it, it goes into anxiety, it goes into depression. And we're looking at five to 11-year-olds right now, just three months ago, compared to last year, or at a 25% higher rate of going to the ER for anxiety. We're looking at 12 to 17-year-olds at a 31% increase of depression and anxiety and suicidal behaviors than last year. Self-control. Our kids are saying, 
and give me an example because I feel like self-control is one of those terms that we hear a lot and it's like okay does that mean they'd pass the marshmallow test does it mean they sit still like what kind of self-control is are we looking for well here's the thing Mm-hmm. We healthy <laughs> number one, <laughs> healthy self control. But each one of these traits is made up of three skills. What does a kid with self control have? And some are going to be easy to teach a four year old. Others are going to be easier for seventeen. Mm. Focusing ability. He can handle the focus and get rid of others. He has the ability to identify what his strengths are and put the brakes on impulses. Mm. And he has some kind of a healthy, manageable technique. That when stress builds, because I know what I look like when I have stress, I know how to at least take it down a couple of notches. Yeah. How does that have to do with perseverance? Well, if you don't have focusing and you can't take the stress down and you're trying to do that time test, there's no way you're going to be able to concentrate. And I think the idea that this is something you can work on, because one thing I hear and sometimes I feel as a parent is like, well, my kid is just an impulsive kid. Like that's, I got one of those. Yeah. And the idea that this is something that you can cultivate in a kid makes a big difference. I have three kids and I could tell you which ones have these traits, you know, and it's not necessarily because of how I parent them. They're wired in a specific way. So I like the idea of offering people like these are skills you can work on. Yeah. Your goal is to stretch the kid from where he is, right? what his capabilities are so that every kid struggles less and shines more. Mm. There, each one of the chapters in this book also has a story about a real kid who you know, who had overcame enormous difficulties. Chapter three was Michael Phelps, best decorated, most Olympian in the world. But what happened to him when he was a kid? ADHD. He was on Ritalin, nothing helped. And a lot of teachers said, you're not going to be successful. What happened was a mother who found a swimming pool was the way to get rid of his energy. That helped him cope. But Michael Phelps also said it helped my mother being in the stands who would make her hand into look like a C. And that was her little signal that said, calm down, Michael. And she'd teach me some strategies to calm down. So it's what every parent's got to figure out what works for your child. That's self-control. Then comes integrity. Well, why I love that integrity is there other than the fact it's going down like the wayside in, in today's world. We now know that thrivers seem to know what they stand for. It's your values, whatever they are, planted in your kid's head. So that when push comes to shove and he's faced with maybe a peer sending him to do something he's against or whatever it is, he doesn't have to wiver and waver. He's so clear on here's what I stand for so he can move ahead. He doesn't have to have the stress buildup. That seems to help. The fifth one, I am so excited was there, was curiosity. Not that you're raising Albert Einstein, but that thrivers kind of think outside the box. So when the problem comes, they don't quit. They go, I can figure out a way around it. They're little problem solvers and creative thinkers. So that's curiosity. Now comes six with perseverance. It's a kid who keeps on going but doesn't need a gold star and a trophy to get there. He knows how to shrink his problems so he can go, here's the stumbler. Here's what's getting in the way. We parents are the ones that are going to help that child now because a lot of kids are overwhelmed with the whole page. What's the one stumbler? Okay, let's work on that one thing. And then seven is optimism and hope. Because if that pessimism continues, which it is, I think, with all of us, will we ever get through this? Oh, the world is so mean and scary. Everybody's going to have a bad day. We're all going to think the negative thoughts. But the research says that if our kids continue to think the negative thoughts, they become permanent and pervasive. 
and they rob our kids of hope, but they also rob our kids of managing stress. And that's one of the fastest predictors of depression. So we now know that you can change the thought. If you change the thought, it changes the behavior and the emotion. What we've been doing is go to timeout, which is too late at this point, change the thought and it'll change the behavior. That's why cognitive behavior therapy is one of the hottest tools right now for helping kids through depression because it helps them rethink their thinking. That sounds so difficult, but it isn't. What I tried to do is crunch simple little things so it's manageable and we can reteach all of these to our kids one skill at a time. When you say self-control of a kid who's anxious or depressed, it did from the outside kind of sound to me like you're saying, like, just get a lid on that, right? Get control of yourself. Stop being so anxious all the time. Of course, it's not that easy, but the CBT approach is more about these. Here's what's in my toolkit, right? Here's what works for me and helping them develop that toolkit. I love that tool. Toolkit is exactly what you're doing because teens say our mistake is saying, you're going to do mindfulness now, or you're going to do meditation now. Right. And what one boy said, you know what, you got to give us a repertoire of stuff. We got to figure out what works for us, not what works for you. Yeah. And then the second thing is, we got to keep practicing it till it becomes a habit. The other thing is what you just said, we wait too long for the meltdown. We can see the kids starting to get a little anxious. Our goldmine of our toolkit is going back five levels and maybe the first month doing something really provocatively powerful and proactive, helping each kid in our family, as well as us, figure out what our stress signs are. What happens to us before we get into the meltdown, before we get irritable, before we get the headache? That always comes seconds before. And sometimes with some kids, it's a split second and you've got a very limited time. But it's the same sign. For some children, you'll watch, tune in. You'll see some kids, their feet start to go a little faster. Then they have the meltdown. Some teens, I watch them rock or start to grind their teeth or their hands go into a fist. Girls say, a lot of them, tweens, they say, our hands start to get sweaty. But we haven't pointed out the sign. Every kid's different and unique. It's helping the kid identify their sign. Then you can take the slow, deep breath. Or then you could go take the nature walk. Or then you could go take the bubble bath or whatever works for you. But you've got to get there before then for it to work. Yeah. You know, here's the bottom line to this one, and every parent's going to get it. It's the toy store aisle at Walmart. It's holidays, and the kid is in the meltdown, in the exorcism. And you hear the mom say, calm down, and you want to say, it's a little late. (laughs) (laughs) And you can't teach him to calm down in the middle of the exorcism. Yes. So... Here's the thing. A four-year-old's not going to be able to tell you when they get stressed. They're not even going to be able to say it. But instead, you can start watching the pattern. In fact, parents, just get a calendar. For your kids who are a little more irritable, they're not stressed all the time. If you watch them a little closer, you'll see maybe it's only at 3 o'clock on Thursdays, or maybe it's only 10 o'clock on Wednesday morning, or maybe it's always at 4 o'clock. What's always at 4 o'clock? That's when he's seems to be hungry and needing a snack. Or maybe at three o'clock on Wednesday, that's when the Zoom test is for math. Zero in, and then you can help the child with that way. And that's one way to start reducing the stress. Then you give him a proactive way to help him reduce it. And then you practice, practice, practice until he gets it. There was one insight that I really took away from this book. And uh, we're going to talk about that as soon as we come back from this break. 
Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health, and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Hello, Hellions. You know we listen to a lot of podcasts that aren't our own, and today we want to tell you about a podcast that really speaks to us and will speak to any parent of a child with special education needs. The podcast is called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. One of my kids has an IEP, and I found this podcast so validating and so helpful. I feel better equipped to advocate for my child's educational needs now. This podcast is helpful for parents in many different situations, whether your child already has an IEP or you're just starting to wonder if they might need extra support in the classroom. Juliana has content for kids of all ages and for kids who are learning English as an additional language as well. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Okay, we're back. And this, I think the idea of the word thriver was very evocative to me. And it's interesting to me that it sounds kind of like the word striver, which is a very different concept than what you're talking about. I feel like it made me think like a lot of kind of the way that we're a little bit off track. I used to sing that song, Beautiful Boy, to my sons at night. Oh, love that song. But he says, right, life is what happens to you when you're busy making other plans. And this book reminded me and it brought home this idea of like sometimes it's like your kid is becoming the kid they're going to become while you're busy making other plans for them and looking at goals for them and making sure that you're getting to the right place. And I feel like this is such an important lesson that we revisit so often on this podcast is like Amy says it parent the child you have right it's like this is really about such a fundamental exercise in saying like I don't want to miss my kid for trying to make my kid oh happy or successful yeah it's putting the pause button that's what we do right you know the problem is there's no rewind button on parenting. Right. So every once in a while, we got to push the pause and just simply say, what's going on right now, right in front of me that I may be missing. Right. And it's so fast because we're doing so much stuff. And in all fairness, oh my gosh, we just had so much more put on to us. Yes. And now we have to be the teacher and the daycare and the cook and everything. So it's just maybe this, if there's any silver lining in a horrible, horrible year and tragedy, 
it's knowing that our kids need a little bit something more. They need a reset on this. And that's what it is. A thriver to me is a kid who says, I got this. And he doesn't get that way overnight. It's a slow, gradual process to get that. A striver is a kid who tries their off. They try, try, try. But sometimes when push comes to shove and they get against the fence, they quit and they give up and they never go the nine yards. And we all end up disappointed. And right in front of us the whole time was a kid who was great, you know, and that I think is a mistake that people make. And we always try to say to people, you don't do this because it's more work for you. It's an exercise. It takes you, it makes you a better parent. Like we're trying to offer people like this is actually an easier path maybe than the path that you're on. You know what? That's the bottom line. Sometimes people go, oh my gosh, not another parenting book. Right. But we have to do that because we present so many parenting books. And I always say, yeah. guys, we're only trying to present to you stuff that it's like, this is actually easier than what you're already doing. Yeah, it is. Because in the end, what is really good parenting? A 50,000 pieces of research on what the heck makes a good parent. The number one thing correlated is the strength of the relationship with the child. Hmm. What does that mean? It means you got to know your kid. It means you got to figure out how to stay tuned into each other. Is there going to be conflict? Of course there's going to be conflict. We're living human beings. But in the end, we also need a refresh on what's the stuff that's science-based that's going to give us the optimum results so we can do the best job we can. We've only got that short amount of time. I mean, I'm telling you, it goes faster than you ever thought. My mother always warned me, and it does. <laughs> <laughs> Lately, some of the days go really, really slow, people. We see you, but yes. Yes, I know. <laughs> I know. It's like, speed it up, speed it up. But in the reality... <laughs> I have a question about, you know, the strivers, right? The sort of yeah. the problem, right? The kid who's taking the 18 AP classes and doing this and they get five hours of sleep a night. The example that you start the book with. I have two kids who are in high school, very much in this age group, definitely have the, you know, the drive to do well. I recognize it as something that was in me in the 80s. You know, I was a striver, perhaps without some of the anxiety and depression maybe, but like I was a kid like that. Also, so are these kids now. I really try remembering what it was like to be a perfectionist kid that thought I had to get an A on everything to tell my kids they don't have to get an A on everything, that I'm proud of them, that I'm interested in their pursuits and whatever. But I'm wondering, what is it about now that's making it even worse? I sort of think there has to be something going on besides helicopter moms and just stop hovering over them all the time. Stop, you know, stop expecting so much of them. I mean, I don't know that that's all there is to it. And I'm just wondering... And then there's the pandemic, but you wrote this book before the pandemic. So like, what else is going on that's making it such a stressful time? I think, first of all, we had a culture shift before the pandemic. We had a culture shift where we got our way somehow along the way from being a parent of a noun to being a parent that was a verb. It was all about doing, doing, doing. And we wiped ourselves out as a result of it. I think that's one thing. The culture became very competitive. So we started to do a phase that was about 30 years ago and steadily doing of the no child left untested. We got fed that we had to start at least by the age of six months of flashing the flashcards with our kids in order to have them keep up or they would lost. And we felt so guilty if we didn't because we were told that that is going to help your kid be successful. And then all of a sudden it kept backfiring, backfiring, growing, growing, growing. You know, I work in a lot of countries around the world. The most interesting country in the world is Finland. I've worked three times with the Ministry of Education, who I can't believe they bring me, an American, in there, where they have the happiest people on earth. <laughs> we love Finland. We know all about this. We're into Hugo. We're into, like, yeah. free luft living. We love Finland. Northern Europeans. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, they also have the most literate groups of kids. They don't start formal reading until age seven. See? So what they do is they follow their kids. And one more other thing that I love is they also allow kids to decompress. They make sure that the high school isn't boom, 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 boom. When you go home, you don't have all that homework. You don't have, by the way, all the sports. So what the kid has is breathing space. Yeah. Now, maybe the takeaway for us is what the kids told me. Most of them, when I asked, and these were amazingly extraordinary kids who had GPAs in the (laughs) ozone layer. They were high-performing, incredible children. But the trait that many of them told me was that they felt like they were running on empty. In fact, I almost named the book Running on Empty because that kept coming up over and over again. And I'd said, why? And the fascinating thing is most of them said, because we don't have time for ourselves when we don't know who we are. So then when these same kids go to Stanford, Bill Damon's study, the most best adolescent psychologist we have in the world, he's the lead psychologist at Stanford said, only 20% of the American kids coming into Stanford have a sense of purpose. It's been beaten out of them. They don't have a sense of meaning. Here's another scathing stat. The average American kid gives up their real talent. We're talking about the really, really talented kids. University of Chicago has been tracking them. Gives up the talent at age 13. Why? Because they don't have enough time to practice it. So there's another tragedy. Bottom line is you may not have an Einstein growing up in your house, and most of us don't. But you may want to just take a moment to look at your kid's calendar. Hmm. Can you just cut one thing? If you cut one thing that really, really isn't that important, you'll free up time for the kid to decompress and maybe get to what he really loves to do. Ask him which one should be cut. No, you can't cut that because that's the one you're flunking. But let's find something else along the way. You know, security and safety are at the top of our list. Making sure the kid does have everything he needs to be able to be the best he can be. But he also needs to be able to decompress and handle life. And I think a lot of that is our own idea of expectation. I think, Amy, some of it is this idea that like the funnel, it used to be like in my parents' generation, they were all the first people going to college, you know, and now everything's gotten wide. It's like we're all on this chase to college, you know, and this has become a very different model. And I have a kid whose passion is DJing. And that's not something I was raised to be like, you know, it's a great job for kids to pursue DJing. But I have to pause and take a step back and say, you know, my kid is learning a lot of skills by practicing this thing that he loves to do rather than being at some after school class that's going to get him into Harvard. Exactly. But that's hard. It's really hard. It, it is. Listen, that's the bottom line of the most important characteristic of parenting. It's hard. There's <laughs> nothing easy about this. But why is it that gap years seem to be so successful with kids? Because maybe if they had that one year to just find out who they are, just let low a little bit and discover a whole new set of skills that they never had before. It may be the perfect year to do that gap year because it's been a tough one for them all. And if you have, a lot of our listeners have very young children. I'd say probably two thirds of our listeners have kids under five. Yeah. So you hopefully aren't thinking about the race to Harvard just yet, but you have, you know, three-year-old and a five-year-old at home. What can that mom be doing to help create a thriving atmosphere for those kids? Uh, several things. Number one, three-year-olds have the most wonderful commodity known to man. They're curious. Everything is wonderful. Everything is open. Keep that inquisitiveness in your child. 
We now know that the average time when kids stop, start learning, stop learning creativity and starts to nosedive is age five. Mm. So when they ask why, I know it's hard, but go, what a great question. I don't know. Let's figure it out. Expose your kids at that age to different kinds of things. So they have the opportunity to just experience kinds of things. Help them problem solve. At age five, you pull out when you got a problem, your hand. It's a hand pocket problem solver. Thumb is name what's bugging you. You know, pointer, middleman, and ringman are three things you could have done differently. <laughs> ringman is the best thing you could have done differently. Next time, what are you going to do? Don't do that when you're a teen or you're going to get booted out of the house. <laughs> That's not going to work. But little kids, it's pocket problem solvers. Exposing kids to, oh, put a sheet over your kitchen table. It's now a reading fork. Put pillows, dogs, and flashlights under there. And every night at seven o'clock, best thing you could possibly do, everybody in the whole family crawl in there and just read and enjoy each other's company. Thrivers love books. They love to read or they love to listen. The average age when we stop reading out loud to our kids is age nine. The average age when kids stop reading out loud for pleasure is age nine. That's a tragedy. <laughs> so I think what we fail to realize is that sometimes it's the ordinary stuff that does extraordinary mm. things on our kids. Thrivers have agency. They know that they have a little bit of control over their own life. And slowly along the way, we help them recognize it. And that's what we're aiming for. Don't chase extraordinary and miss the magic of like an ordinary happy kid. Like what could be better than that? University of Chicago is right there on your side. They track the happiest children and the happiest grownups. What do they have in common? They find the avenue of the things they enjoy doing. It gives them a sense of flow. They refuse to give up. They have perseverance because they're doing their joy. Now, that may not be all the time, but every kid at least needs one kind of a hobby where they can find their path to happiness because they'll use that not just now, but forever. I love that. Michelle's book is called Thrivers, The Surprising Reasons Why Some Kids Struggle and Others Shine. It's out now. Michelle, tell us where else we can find you and your work. Oh, thank you. Well, my website's Michelle Borba. I'm a 1L Michelle, and my last name Borba rhymes with Zorba. So there you go. It has <laughs> lots of, by the way, free PDFs, but it also has a 17-page free educator discussion guide on how we can get teachers to implement these same things in a classroom. Right. So we're all walking and talking the same path together. Let's just shrink the village a little more and realize we're kind of all on the same page. In the end, we all want our kids to be the best they can be. And that's what we do. We just got to follow the science. And we'll link to everywhere you can find Michelle, this wonderful book. And we really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact invented. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was 
steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. 